Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hostess. Tonight, I am joined by Flashers with Samantha and the Panda. Serial killer or not. Or <laughs> not. <laughs> Nailed it. However, <laughs> also about that. Road trip with the Panda. So they actually don't know the topic of tonight's episode. I kind of kept it kind of hush-hush, but I did a tremendous amount of research because this topic is literally close to my heart. I mean, truly. When I was six months old, I needed to have a very serious surgery, and as a result, I needed blood transfusion. Now, I'm six months old, and there are many, and I do mean many people out there who need blood transfusions, but moreover, people, even to this day, need organ transplants. Now, to be clear, I didn't need to have an organ transplant. But <laughs> when, when I compare the type of medical technology that they have today versus the six-month-old baby, literally at... Yeah, how many years ago? Wow. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Don't start. <laughs> 21 years ago. <laughs> you invited us here. <laughs> and told us nothing. Right, 21 <laughs> years ago. Nailed it. I feel like it was like caveman times. Oh, vastly different, yeah. By comparison to what medical technology can do today. And, I mean, I received this blood transfusion before even AIDS was a thing on the scope. And just so we're clear, when AIDS became the forefront of, you know, the, you know, the health scare in America, you know, my mother took me down and I got a blood test done. And, you mm. know, obviously I'm good. It's solid. But my Something, point is, yeah. is that, I mean, this is how far back, not that I'm too, I'm not old. Okay. I'm not old. But <laughs> uh, again, this was a very serious scenario. And I mean, it still is blood transfusions, and more importantly, the topic today being organ transplants. So what what does blood transfusions and organ transplant have to do with true crime or paranormal? A lot. For me, yes. I think a lot more than what people actually realize. Now, aside from the fact that there is this huge black market for human organs, we're actually going to talk about, I, I don't, really know what the right words are to describe this. There's actually a couple of very curious phenomenons that are are happening 
with regards to organ transplants. Now, I'm going to be honest, I, I was only aware of like one of these curious phenomenons before I started researching. But during my research, during the course of my research, I really felt that there was m- more of a second and third. I mean, what we're going to cover today's episode it is unreal, in my opinion. I think I know where you're going with this, and I'm kind of excited about it. So, okay, let's start at the beginning. And I remember this happening. On May 29, 1988, an American woman by the name of Claire Sylvia received a heart transplant. And this all transpired in Yale, Connecticut. And I very clearly remember what happened next. Now, again, I'm talking six-months-old caveman error. In the 80s, it's still kind of, you know, not nowhere near to the scope that they're able to do now. And so since heart transplants were not very common and exceptionally scary, even now, her transplant made headlines. However, it's what she tells a reporter regarding her recovery that literally sends shockwaves through the media, through this country. I mean, this... I mean, everybody was floored by what she says. She says to the reporter, I'm dying for a beer right now. And so here, everyone's like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Somebody died and gave you a heart. Seems really tone deaf. And you want a beer? And the thing is, is that this woman, that was not her thing. She... Literally, that she that wasn't her her lifestyle, and in fact, not only did she not like beer, she didn't even drink it, you know, not even casual or to to mingle. It wasn't something that she did. But not only was she starting to crave beer, she was also starting to have unusual cravings for food that she typically did not eat. So all of a sudden, she started having this uncontrollable urge to eat chicken nuggets. She she was, like, wanting to go to KFC. And all of a sudden, she started having these cravings for green peppers, Snickers, chocolate bars, and to top it all off, McDonald's chicken nuggets, which, again, that was not her thing that i mean i i, I want to say she was actually an exceptionally healthy eater i was gonna say the same thing i think i've heard this story and i want to say for some reason marathon marathon runners coming into my head but i want to say that she was extremely athletic and extremely healthy correct now she will later be told that her heart donor was an 18 year old man named timothy and i'm probably going to mispronounce this but lamandre now timothy was from maine who had just died in a motorcycle accident. The clincher is he had been driving on his way home from a local McDonald's restaurant, and they found a bag of chicken McNuggets in his jacket pocket when the doctors removed his clothing in in, in trying to save his life. So he was literally eating chicken nuggets ready to eat this stuff that here again she had this was not her thing and the thing is is that claire is not alone in this type of phenomenon so let's talk about some other people 
there was another heart transplant by the name of Jamie Sherman, who suffered from a heart defect since birth. By the age of 24, she had already gone under several heart surgeries, and basically she needed a new one. It was like, you need a new one. Well, because I believe like at some point for a long time before we got better at the technology, the actual rate for the hearts to take was really low. I don't think it did well for a while. Like we were not great at it, obviously. Right. Until we learned. I mean, like it just, it's unreal what they can do now. Mm. So by the age of 24, Jamie needs a new heart. Now she's actually kind of got an interesting slight twist to her her phenomenon. That's a, that's what I'm going to call it because I don't have the right word. I think so that is the right word. She wakes up from surgery and she immediately has this deep sense of anger like she wants to fight. Like she's like ready to go, let's do this. And she doesn't know why. And in addition to this newfound rage and, and desire to start throwing down, she starts having cravings for Mexican food especially cheese enchiladas. And again, cheese enchiladas and Mexican food was not her jam. Now, six months after her her transplant, she actually gets to meet the donor, the donor of the heart. And she learns that her donor was a 29-year-old man named Scott Phillips. Okay, how did she meet him? The family. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, <laughs> hold on. Something's not right about that sentence. I'm like, did he come back? Was it a seance? Tell me more. Did we cross into paranormal? Well, we're going to actually, All right. shit's going to get, I mean, unreal. Okay. So she meets, she meets the, the family. Okay. And they and tell her like, about you know, him. All of a sudden I'm having these cravings and they're like, oh my God, that was Scott's favorite. Okay. And... While she's speaking and meeting with the family, Scott's family, she learns how Scott dies. He died in a fight at a sports bar after being hit in the head and suffering from a major brain trauma. And so he dies pretty much in this emotion. Which, this one makes more sense to me than the other one about waking up and wanting a beer because, like, you'd have to think that to some extent there's still, like, adrenaline potentially pumping through that heart. So, I mean, maybe not this specific emotion, but, I mean, you could wake up feeling like it's time to go, like fight or flight because those chemicals are still maybe pumping through that heart, but it's still well, – the cravings are bizarre. On. This is going to get even like, – Crazier? Yes. Right. Well, Panda's mind's blown already. He's very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just staring at me with these well, glassy I, well, eyes. Do you want me to just say it? I, I want to find out the rest, but we keep stalling. Okay, so. sorry. Okay. sorry. All right, let's talk about Amy Tippins. Amy was a 17-year-old when she had a liver transplant in 1993. After her body accepted the liver, Amy began having cravings for hamburgers. Now, and again, in an interesting plot twist, completely different, she also began having a strong sense of community and a newfound sense of a moral and civic duty. And then things get crazier. From her liver? From her liver, yes. She suddenly has the ability and knowledge of skills she's never had before. So she not only finds, so Claire's going to McDonald's, she's going to hardware stores, and she soon realizes she now 
has a whole range of complex do-it-yourself skills and she now has the physical agility to carry out these complex home project do-it-yourself projects so basically she's now bob the builder so you're telling me that i need to get like half of a liver from my ex-husband so i can put in some hardwood floor and clean my house and make it better that's yeah. all it took my it's been sitting just, there my liver just doesn't even save me when i'm drinking so <laughs> it doesn't help you it's just kind of there okay so here's the clencher with amy Amy meets her new liver donor's family, and she learns that she received the liver from a man named Mike James. Mike James was a former U.S. Marshal. Oh. Hence, now the drive for a moral and civic duty. And he not only loved hamburgers as they were his favorite food, he had a passion for working with his hands and completed several building projects at home before he died. So what is it that we're talking about here? What is this concept that we're talking about? What we're talking about here is what they term cellular memory. It is the theory that cells within an organ can carry the memories and desires of the person of whom it belonged. Now, one person who was a proponent of this concept was a Dr. Bill Parasol. And he even wrote a book, a book called A Change of Heart. Because he, I mean, he studied the patients. So according to um, the website that I kind of did the research on, I think it was called, uh, it, it was Bill Parsons website. It, and I'm quoting this, according to this study of patients who received transplanted organs, particularly hearts, It is not uncommon for memories, behaviors, preferences, and habits associated with the donor to be transferred to the recipient. And again, like I said, he he writes all these, all about his research and findings in the book, A Change of Hearts. Now, I want to discuss because this gets even crazier. Let's talk about the case. This, these next series I found in the Journal of Near-Death Studies. A 47-year-old white male who was a foundry worker received the heart of a 17-year-old. The teenager was a black male who had a passion, and I do mean passion, for classical music. This young man was on his way to his violin class when he was a victim of a drive-by shooting, and essentially he died clutching his violin case. So basically he was hugging his violin case when he died. Now his mother would say her son was so talented that he had, had this not happened, she could see him playing at Carnegie Hall. I mean, this was how fantastic he was. Now I'm going to paraphrase what this man says, because there's a lot of interesting things that he says in it. But we're just going to, because um, he kind of has a lot of perceptions about black people, mm. which is interesting, but I just kind of want to keep it to this topic and on focus with this. So he says, I'm real sad and all for the guy who died and gave me his heart. I can tell you one thing, though. I used to hate classical music, but now I love it. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. 
Now it calms my heart. I play it all the time. I more than like it. I play it all the time. And then his wife says something very curious. She, Because, you know, they're doing the study, so they're taking all these reports. Right. Ever since her husband had received this young man's heart, she says, and I'm quoting, like, there's his, the change in him. She's reporting on the change of him. For the first time he's invited his black friends over from work, it's like he doesn't see their color anymore, even though he still talks about it sometimes. He seems more comfortable and ease with these black guys, but he's not aware of it. One more thing I should say. He's driving me nuts with his classical music. <laughs> he doesn't even know the name of the songs and never, never listened to it before. Now he sits for hours and listens to it. He even whistles classical songs that he never could know. How does he know them? And I'm paraphrasing. I've, I've cut down her statement. Right. Now, kind of moving on. I mean, because that's kind of, I'm kind of starting over with kind of the simpler cases. There's this curious case of a 47-year-old man who received the heart of a 14-year-old girl who died from an injury she sustained in a gymnastic accident. And I have to tell you, that's the other kind of thing that was really kind of hard to, to decompress is how strange some of these people died. The, it, you know, you've seen 101 Ways. Oh, God. A Thousand Ways to Die on Spike TV. Mm-hmm. Right. How strange. show. Some of <laughs> the ways people have died. So she dies from a gymnastic accident. Now, her mother tells the journal, again, it's the Journal of Near-Death Studies, and I'm paraphrasing. My daughter was the picture of health. There wasn't an ounce of fat on her. She was a gymnastic, and her coach could lift her above her head with one hand. She was so excited about life that she would just hop and jump all the time like a kitten. She had some trouble with food, though. She would skip meals for a while while she was purging. I think they would call her a little anorexic. We took her to therapy about it, but she just wasn't into food. And she had this silly little giggle when she got embarrassed. It sounded like a little bird. Now, the 47-year-old man says, I feel new again. I feel like a teenager. I actually feel giddy. I know it's just the energy of the new heart, but I really feel younger every day. It's not just physical. I see the world that way. I'm, I'm really young at heart, and I have this annoying tendency to giggle that drives my wife nuts. And there's something about food. I don't know what it is. I get hungry, but after I eat, I often feel nauseous and that it would help if I could throw up. So then even his brother says... Gus is a teenager, no doubt about it. He's a kid, or at least he thinks he's a kid. Even when we're bowling, he yells and jumps like a fool. He's got this weird laugh now. It's a girl's laugh, and we tell him that. He doesn't care. His appetite never bounced back after the surgery. He's pretty much nauseated almost all the time. And so, I mean, here again, it's very clear that the recipients are taking on basically the the donor's attitude, the donor's temperament, using the verbiage, kind of taking on, you know, approaches and perceptions and philosophies, and more importantly, 
taste in food and music. So here's some of the plot twists. This sample just blows me away. After being murdered, the heart of a 10-year-old girl goes to an 8-year-old girl. After the organ transfer, the 8-year-old girl begins having this recurring, very clear, but very nightmarish nightmares about the murder. The recipient's mother decides to meet up with the psychiatrist who, after several sessions, concludes that the eight-year-old is actually witnessing the actual murder of the 10-year-old. It's not just a dream. It's the 10-year-old's memory or last memory of her life. So, with the details that the eight-year-old provides They call the police. They contact the police. Using this information that the eight-year-old gives them, and we are talking about the description of the murder, how it was done, the time, the weapon that was used, the place where this horrible thing happened, even the clothes the perpetrator wore, and what he told the little girl before he killed her. The police not only find the 10-year-old's murderer, they even get a conviction. We're not surprised. Based on everything she reported to them. So by now we're obviously seeing a prime instance of a pattern here, or at least, you know, in reading all this. So now, because I originally started with Claire's story. Here she had just these cravings. Just she had this sudden new habits that she did not, or, you know, indulging, wanting to indulge in things that she did not do. So speaking of Claire, and going back to her initial case, before Claire learned anything definite about her donor, she began having strange dreams, okay? Just like the little girl who received the murdered child's heart. Claire began having strange dreams, and in these dreams, she would see a young, thin man that she basically started calling Tim L. And she pieces together that this might actually be her donor. She's dreaming about her donor. And sure enough, she goes searching through the local obituaries about the time of her transplant, you know, about the day, and she comes across Timmy LaMirande. I think that's his name, Timmy Mirande. LaMirande. So she tracks down his family, and that is how she learns everything about him. The, the McDonald's, the green peppers, the craving for beer. And this, again, with the 10-year-old, with Claire, these young ladies are not alone. So let's talk about the very curious case of a 9-year-old boy by the name of Jimmy who received the heart of a 3-year-old girl who drowned in a pool. So, unfortunately, her parents were going through a nasty divorce. And while she was at her mother's boyfriend's house, and while the babysitter was talking on the phone, and she being three, she fell in the pool and she drowned. Jimmy's mom tells the journal, he does not know who his donor is or how she died. We do. Well, the one thing I noticed most is that Jimmy is now deathly afraid of water. 
He loved it before. We live on a lake, and he will not go out into the backyard. He keeps closing and locking the back door walls. He says he's afraid of the water and doesn't know why. He won't talk about it. However, Jimmy reports to the journal, and this is what he says. I talk to her sometimes. I can feel her in here. She seems very sad. She is very afraid. I tell her it's okay, but she is very afraid. She says she wishes that parents wouldn't throw away their children. I don't know why she would say that. And he says more, but I'm, I'm just paraphrasing. But the point is, is that all these people are starting to connect spiritually with the people that they received their organ from. And, I mean, these are just a few examples of how they're connecting on a different level, okay? Well, assuming their personalities and their characteristics, which is kind of an interesting thought when you think about all this generational trauma we're having, conversation we're having now about how generations of abuse implant and imprint in people as well and how the cycle of abuse and how that's coming more and how generational trauma is actually passed down from family member to family member to family member through their DNA. It's encoded in their DNA. Correct. And if this is the case, things like this probably did change their DNA and our gener- our DNA probably does change throughout our lifetime. So it's all kind of interesting the more we're finding out about our bodies and how we carry things through us. Well, one of the things, you know, like I said, I remember Claire's story. I remember when that hit the media. And I also remember, like, are you familiar with the term uh, divorce massage? Mm -mm. So. I probably should be, but no. (laughs) A divorce massage is a massage you get whilst you're in the midst of a divorce. Your body's tense, everything's just fucked around you, and you're like, you know what, I need to treat myself, and I need to kind of alleviate the stress from my body. Well, it's not a, a, a formal term by any means, but a divorce massage is where you go, get this massage, and while you're being, you know, touched... And all this pressure. Appropriately with consent. Correct. <laughs> above the waist. Um, you start talking to this perfect stranger about all the shit that is going on. Right. And I really think to some extent, there's a, not only because it's on your mind, but it's in your body. Right. And, they're, and yeah. as she's pushing down on these tissues, you're releasing them. That toxin, yeah. From your body. Now... Sometimes the you go to a masseuse and all of a sudden you start talking or remembering things from your childhood. Again, I th- really think it's because that memory is stored where she just or he just touched you right. and now it's released. But in the case of the organ transplants, the f- I mean, so let's talk about this next next case. And this is interesting because, so this was the case of a 13-year-old girl who received the heart of another 13-year-old woman. The donor 
the donor had suffered a broken neck in a dance class. She fell. Yeah, I can't handle all these. It's like it did. My child that was murdered, I can't. Right. So she receives the heart, and this is what she tells the journal. I think of her as my sister. I think we must have been sisters in a former life. I only know that my donor was a girl my age, but it's more than that. I talk to her at night or when I'm sad. I feel her answering me. I can feel it in my chest. I put my left hand there and press it with my right. It's like I can connect with her. She seems sad. Sometimes she seems sad. I think she wanted to be a nurse or something, but other times it's like she wanted to be on Broadway. I think she wanted to be on Broadway more. I want to be a nurse, but I could be a doctor too. I hope she will be happy because she will always be my angel, my sister in my chest. I carry my angel everywhere. And yes, just so you understand, the... The, the 19-year-old who died, she was torn between becoming or going into the medical field and going into the entertainment business. 19 or 13-year-old? 19. Oh, okay. You said 13, 13. I'm sorry. I meant 19. I was just curious. So, and then, and then. Because I was thinking to myself, being a nurse at 13, yeah, that's deep. Like <laughs> so, okay. We, we, start we got it, got it. And then the mother's, the mother of the recipient, the receiver of the, the donor, or the recipient, she says, we can hear, we can sometimes hear her talking to her heart. It's like a dear diary thing. She puts her hand on her chest and talks to whoever she thinks her donor is. Once we found her holding a tethoscope to her chest to try and hear her new heart, I think she still does that sometimes. And the only other thing that she really wants to go to medical school now. She never wanted to do that before, but that's because I don't think she thought she would live. She's already changed her college classes. So here is to me like the second. I mean, there's all these little plot twists. All of a sudden, Amy can do, you know, build a staircase or whatever. But these guys are connecting to that person and seeing them in their dreams. I'm seeing them. Yeah, on such a deep level, like they're living out those memories. Like, wild, was it Wild Wild West style when he puts the eyes in and you get to see the last uh, memory? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And How it's dare like, you bring that up? there's terrible two. Movie. <laughs> <coughs> we will talk about that later. <coughs> While he's coughing, are they both 19, both 13? One's they're 19, both 19. one's 13? They're, okay. both, they're both 19. Because you started well, you off thir- with 13, and so now I'm, like, so confused. Well, you said 13-year-old girl and then 13-year-old woman, and I'm like. Okay, well, maybe I'll read that part again. It sounds like you're a 13-year-old girl and a 19-year-old woman. Okay, well, they're both 19. I apologize for the confusion. Oh, you're fine. I was just trying to get into it, figuring it out. I'm not fine. I we know. fix it right now. So it's almost as if there's two souls in this one body. Right. Thanks to the organ transplant. I think it's just science. Because like you said, you know, you're especially right when you're about to die or your body's fighting to survive, whether it be you know, immediate, your body's 
push, pushing blood out. Your heart's pumping as fast as it can do something. Your body's trying to survive, do whatever. And so I think the faster it's pumping before it dies, like the murderer, you know, she, she's, she's definitely scared. She was going to die. Or, you know, when the kid drowned, you know, the, the heart's trying to do something, so it's going to beat faster. So I think when you're pushing blood throughout your whole body, you know, however it works for science or chem- I'm not, I'm no scientist. But your memories are going to get mixed in somehow because you start thinking about everything. You start thinking, you go through your whole memory to remember how to survive this moment or how to do this moment or what to do. So you start remembering things and you're super hyper-focused and just happens to be that blood is focused left in your heart because that's where it's got to go. Well, I mean, as, as everyone knows, the main function of the heart is to oxygenize the blood. So it's, you know, good blood goes out, bad blood comes in, gets pumped and oxygen oxygenized, and then it goes back out to keep oxygen flowing to each and every organ. Yeah, I mean, having such vivid memories, the cravings I could see, I could say that that's just something like it's like kind of in the blood or whatever, cellular memory. I could track with cravings. That could be like an odd coincidence to chalk it up however you want. The vivid dreams of the murder is mind-blowing. I'm intrigued because, like, my grandma gave one of her kidneys to my uncle because that was the first choice, right? Like, have mom do it because she's older, and then you can go through the siblings if it fails, whatnot. He passed before that, so we didn't get there, but that's neither here nor there. I'd be intrigued if you have the same phenomenon with living donors as you do deceased donors, because we only talked about deceased donors. So do you get the same phenomenon? You know, that is a great question. And I, in the research, all of the don all the examples that I provided, they died. Right. I mean, once your heart is out of your body, it's over for you yeah but i mean we but had I mean, a liver right and mind you now we can just cut a liver in half and regrow right. it so it's different but i'd be i mean it's kind of interesting like is the science there because they did die and there's all that trauma there because i mean none of them died in peaceful settings by any means no and so is the the trauma that imprinted the cellular cellular memory like do you get that same thing with living donors i'd be just that's kind of i'm like can right. we follow up on the research i mean that's a great question because in my mind Okay. These people have information, the recipients have information that they should not have. Right. I mean, it's, is it a transfer of souls? I mean, you said. Science. Okay, well, (laughs) or I I don't know. It's got to be some sort of chemical. I'm no doctor. It's got to be some sort of chemical that's brain, because, you know, like, we all know the brain. We all know we remember things. The brain remembers things we don't remember. Everything it's not the brain being transplanted. But there's blood has got to go there, right? Right. So as I'm saying, when the blood starts pumping right before you're about to die or you're doing something that led to your ultimate death, your body is is doing some sort of defense mechanism or something I mean, to, to uh, preserve yeah, I th- this is all super interesting to me, which is why I brought up the living donors. Because uh, it's just been kind of fascinating that it does seem like it's out of trauma. And, like, I'm an organ donor, obviously, because I just talked about my uncle. That's important to me. My daughter is a diabetic. That's important to me. But I think that that's a good thing. If I'm dead, by all means, harvest every organ that I have and save someone else. 
but it just makes you like the these circumstances even themselves are rare because like you have this three-year-old that drowns they must have gotten to her really quickly because you know you only have a certain time frame to take an organ from a dead body like especially like a heart I mean it has to be very very quick and so we have these super traumatic deaths and these super quick organ recoveries and then we have deceased people like does all of that have something to do with it kind of like Panda saying where all of these perfect factors and this trauma is what gave them that versus having a living donor that was just like yep let's go in let's do this I'm a match like let's figure out what's going to happen and it be super peaceful I mean you know I mean, you ask a great question, and to kind of piggyback and expand on that question, I've got one. You, you, you said it, and it kind of gave me the idea. The other curious thing that I would love to know, I again, I've not done, I can't answer these questions. I only focused on this. Oh, definitely. I don't think we have the studies out there either. So, I mean, I'm just asking but into the void. <laughs> to expand on your question and what you just said, Say, for example, you died, you broke a neck. Right. Okay. And your heart went to Jimmy, your liver goes to Sally. Do they both have the same type of experiences? Right. Are they go both so going to be craving parts. a jack in the box? Right. <laughs> right. No ice in that soda. Right. No. <laughs> Don't get me started. Okay. Last story. Last story to kind of ponder on. So. A five-year-old boy by the name of Daryl received the heart of a three-year-old boy who fell from an apartment window. Daryl tells the journal, I gave the boy a name. He's younger than me, and I call him Timmy. He's just a little kid. He's a little brother like my ha- half my age. He got hurt bad when he fell down. He likes Power Rangers a lot, I think, just like I used to. I don't like them anymore, though. I like Tim Allen on Tool Time, so I call him Tim. I wonder where my old heart went, too. I sort of miss it. It was broken, but it took care of me for a while. Now, this is the clencher. Daryl, Dad says, Daryl never knew the name of his donor or his age. We didn't know either until recently. We just learned that the boy had, had died from a window, like the fall from the window. We didn't even know his age until now. Daryl had it right. Probably just a lucky guess or something, but he had it right. What is spooky, though, is that not only did he get the age right, but some idea of how he died, he got the name right. The boy's name is actually, the boy's name was Thomas, but for some reason his immediate family called him Tim, Timmy. And then... Daryl's mother adds, reports, are you going to tell him the real Twilight Zone thing? Timmy fell trying to reach for a Power Ranger toy that had fallen on the ledge of a window. Daryl won't even touch his Power Rangers anymore. So he knows exactly what happened to Timmy or in essence that a Power Ranger has something to do with it. And now... You know, living Daryl's like, I don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah, it just freaks him out. He knows it's right. bad. I think my other follow-up question to this, that was fascinating as well. The age thing is kind of blowing my mind that they, I mean, I could see, once again, if we wanted to go skeptical, that, like, this older person gets a younger heart, and he's like, I'm a teenager. I'm sure your heart feels younger to some extent, well, right? Well, it is younger. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sure to some extent that's a pretty easy guess. But I do wonder if the one that was having dreams about the murder, once the murder was solved, did the dreams go away? That is a great question. I had that question myself. I couldn't find the answer. Yeah, because I'm curious about that because, too. Because I mean, to resolved. me, right, there's resolution, there is justice, there's no reason to continue to have these nightmares. Right, because you should be able to have some level of closure. Yeah. Yes, yes. I don't know, this is trippy for sure. So yes, m- cellular memory. And I think it's a real thing. But I think it's beyond our capacity as humans I don't know what else is out there. Well, we only use how much of our brain? 10%. And our brain, too, is a fascinating... Maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> Panda's using, like, two. Yeah, that's all I need. Level one, two. <laughs> <laughs> the brain, too, though, is fascinating because, you know, it constantly is regenerating, and certain pieces, the brain synapses fire, and then they die, and then new connections form, so, I mean, you think your DNA does the same thing to some extent where it, you know, starts to code and connect and make new things as well. So why would cells operate differently than brain synapses to some extent with that coding, that deep biological coding? Well, I, I generally don't know. Oh, I me mean, neither, but I don't, know, I don't it's think it's that far-fetched. It's kind of like I had hurt my, my hand. I burned my hand, and every now and then, it will hurt like it I just randomly hurt as if I had just recently heard it. And the thing is, is that in theory, our cells are supposed to die and regenerate every seven years. So basically, every seven years we have a new body. Right. So why am I having this phantom pain from an incident that happened over you know, 20 years ago? Well, I'm glad that you said phantom, because what about phantom limbs? They yes. say, you know, both my uncle had both legs amputated, and he said that he, there was times that, like, his toes itched, it itched, it. his toes itched, he didn't have toes, but right. it was like this muscle memory deep inside his DNA where his toes still itched long after he had no toes. So, I mean, it's all kind of in the same vein of the same weird science phenomenon. Right. I see, I don't think it's science. I think it's something beyond us humans. No, our bodies are great. You know, they're they're far more complex than we could ever. Absolutely, they Absolutely. are a master design, be it religious or not. That there's something deep in there. I mean, I, I don't know, spiritual and yeah, physical quite often cross for me. I think there's some divine thing that we just don't, we can't comprehend. But I think it all makes sense in the scheme of things. Right. All right. So that is what we have for you tonight: cellular memory. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Boy's <laughs> got a Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm eating my chocolate right well, now. Well, I thought you were going to talk. I was, was no, that's it. That's all I do. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, just go to our Facebook page, check it out, post things, literally post things. Yeah, tell care. us what you think it is. Tell us if you got a transplant that talks to you. Yeah, dreams. living donors. Yeah. Living donors. Yeah, I would be curious. Yeah, living reach donors, out. what kind of scenario are you experiencing? With your new liver, do you eat Doritos now? Yeah, do you crave things yeah. that you didn't crave before? All right. So, again, if you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, or you can give us information on a topic like that, 
send us an email at where the dark quarters are at gmail.com. I mean, it's they can't call us. We're not giving out our phone number. I didn't say anything. You, I'm just so sitting me, here. Baby. <laughs> Your face says it. I literally <laughs> just stay here just waiting. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we take that back. You can call Panda. His number is 555. All right. Final thoughts, Samantha. I think that's crazy. I think there are so many mysteries of this world that I want to know more about. You can say it's science. You can say it's paranormal. To me, there is a happy medium in between that makes sense. Something greater than us that we don't understand, but something that's deep and, you know, attributed to science. I mean, I think it could go either way, but I think it's fascinating, and I'd love to go home and research more about living donors and see if there's other stories. I want to see if that girl stopped dreaming about the murder after it was resolved. I'm just... I'd like to tie up some loose ends that right. I did not expect you to do, but I l- kind of want to go back and right. look at it now. Panda? It's still science. <laughs> okay. It, the body does something. It's like uh, it's like, it's like like a black box in the airplane. You know what that is? It records. It records like the last 30 minutes of and what you have to say before you fucking, you know. <laughs> okay. Oh People no. hear the boxes. People make it all the time. The Hudson River, you know, Sully. Oh my gosh, I was just li- okay. We can't go down that okay. hole today. See? <laughs> All right. So until next time, please remember only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. <laughs> <laughs>